Five people won't decide the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Salvadorans. One thing is to interpret the constitution. It's something very different to order the death of the people. Salvadoran president Nayib Bukele on Twitter, after defying an order by the Supreme Court declaring his order for the military to arrest and quarantine people violating lockdown orders unconstitutional. Welcome to the Politics of Pandemics, episode 25, The World's Coolest Dictator. Populists and leaders have had an interesting time with the coronavirus pandemic. Some have tried to defy the disease the same way they defy their country's democratic institutions, lying to the people and themselves about the severity of the virus and the inability to keep it under control. Even the best leaders struggle in this pandemic, let alone those heads of government that care more about self-image than welfare for the needy. The pandemic has knocked down a fair few leaders, and even those that survive may find their reputations permanently stained by pandemic mismanagement. Few are able to turn the pandemic into an opportunity in a very, very bad way. You may have heard about Salvadorian President Nayib Bukele if you're very online, because he seems like what happens if a crypto bro becomes president of a country. He is famous for making Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador, a country where only a third of the population has access to the internet. He has cultivated an image both domestically and internationally of a millennial modern president who uses Twitter as well as Elon Musk in creating a loyal, fanatic following. We're going to ignore most of that. Instead, we will be looking at what that modern, tech-savvy image is hiding. A shameless destruction of El Salvador's hard-won democracy, a claim of gang virus seduction that may not be true, and the use of COVID-19 lockdown measures to crack down on gangs and opposition in the country, all while maintaining overwhelming support amongst the people. Dictators do not have to be unpopular, and if they're brilliant marketers like Bukele, they can have their political enemies replaced while putting on a smile and a show for his adoring fans. A small, dense country of 6.8 million people, El Salvador has had a rough history. The Salvadorian Civil War that lasted from 1977 to 1992 was one of the poster children of U.S. meddling in Latin America as part of their co-war policies, one that resulted in hundreds of thousands of deaths. Even after the Civil War ended 20 years ago, the country continues to be plagued by instability and corruption. The two major parties in El Salvador, ARENA and FMLN, have dominated the political landscape and leaders of both parties have had major corruption scandals. Gangs, or maras, control large swaths of the country and are the reason El Salvador has had one of the highest national murder rates per capita in the world, if not the highest. Murder is how the maras control El Salvador, and peace depends on the federal government working with the criminal organizations to keep violence at a minimum. Well, not always successfully. 
Naib Bukele was supposed to change all that. Elected at only 38 years old in 2019, Bukele was the first president since the end of the Civil War not to have come from either party. Rather, the populist marketing entrepreneur founded Nuevas Ideas after being kicked out of the FMLN and ran on an anti-corruption platform, becoming exceptionally popular through his promises. On the surface, he promised to take on the gangs and tackle endemic corruption, something he had apparently done during his time as the mayor of San Salvador, the capital. His time in office, along with an effective marketing campaign, meant that he won the 2019 presidential election with ease, defeating the two formerly dominant parties. It did not take long for Bukele to show his authoritarian tendencies. He has always relied heavily on the police and military to enforce his anti-gang policies, often providing them funding and powers that amount to a blank check at times. This is something met with opposition, like with his proposal to secure a 109 million US dollar loan from the United States to fund law enforcement. Bukele's Nuevas Ideas party was not a majority of parliament yet, and a good number of the legislative assembly were against the loan and the increasing militarization of the police force. Some demanded greater transparency of the allocation of those funds, which Bukele has refused. They held up approval of the loan, and so, on February 9, 2020, Bukele sent 40 soldiers into the assembly hall in a dramatic show of force. The move, getting soldiers to stand around the legislative assembly in an attempt at intimidation, was widely condemned by opposition members and many international observers. But the move was applauded by his supporters, and while 9F, as the day is known, felt like the beginning of the destruction of Salvadoran democracy, it was also the day that Bukele came into his own as president, defying authority figures and willing to get rid of anyone who stands in his way in dramatic, brutal fashion. President Nayib Bukele's administration shut down El Salvador to the world on March 12, 2020, before coronavirus was even confirmed domestically. There were cases present in neighboring countries like Honduras, but barely a few. Just as well, a week later, the first confirmed cases in the country were identified from Italy. The early shutdown measures before many other countries led to some tensions between El Salvador and Mexico when Bukele accused them of accusing a dozen people with the virus to board a plane to San Salvador. The plane itself was turned back. The lockdowns were in contrast to many countries that did not take the virus seriously until it was too late, and on the surface, it did help reduce the spread of the disease. It was the implementation, however, that was a problem, as Bukele once again relied on the military to enforce quarantine measures. Anyone who was caught on the streets, even for valid reasons, like getting food and medicine, would be shunted off by the police and held in mandatory quarantine for weeks. Not to mention the working-class Salvadorians, at least 1.5 million of them, who work in formal or transactional jobs, and must continue working to feed their families and themselves. Quoting Al Jazeera from April 2020, Gabriel, not his real name, considers his work as a vendor selling toilet paper, toothpaste, 
and food staples at a market near his house in El Salvador as essential to his buyers, his wife, and his granddaughter. That's why he continued to work despite a nationwide lockdown due to the coronavirus. But police stopped him earlier this month as he was on his way home with necessary medicine for his wife, who has diabetes and high blood pressure. Now he is in mandatory quarantine. He is held without charge and without a definite date of release in violation of habeas corpus. President Bukele had promised to distribute checks of $300 U.S. to help the people unable to work, but weeks went by and no help materialized. A website was set up, but it collapsed immediately. Offices to collect the subsidy became gathering points themselves, so the government shut them down and told the people to call a hotline, which was also pointless for many Salvadorians without mobile phones. So on March 31st, thousands staged a street protest demanding the government give them money they were owed to survive and eat during the 30-day lockdown. They were dispersed with pepper spray. As for the unlawful detention, the Supreme Court of El Salvador ruled that the detention of thousands of people in so-called mandatory quarantine centers was unconstitutional and demanded they be released immediately. Bukele announced his intention to defy court orders. It wouldn't be the first or the last time the president would openly defy the courts, creating a pattern that would lead to the takeover of the judicial system along with the other arms of the Salvadorian government over a year later. Meanwhile, these crowded quarantine centers would end up becoming vectors of an infection in their own right. Even people who were told they could quarantine at home would find themselves forced into these centers, the sick mixed with the healthy, tests being spottily administered, many spent over a month inside. People who were perfectly healthy going in would fall ill. But despite repeated demands by the court system to let them go or have a system to do so, President Bukele and his army kept them detained without charges in converted hotels, gyms, and makeshift dorms. as a matter of speculation. To the outside world, President Nayib Bukele used coronavirus response to crack down on another one of his longtime enemies, the gangs or Maras. To explain what happened, we need to remind a bit first. Gangs still control large parts of the country and the city streets, and Bukele has made keeping the gangs in check a core part of his presidential platform. Previous administrations have formed an unholy alliance with the Maras by agreements of truces and resources, which resulted in El Salvador's sky-high murder rate, beginning a pattern of decline even years before Bukele came into office. Still, he took credit for its continued reduction and claimed that this has to do with his beefed-up police force, not because he made deals with the Maras, which he totally did, even though he publicly claimed otherwise. All this just goes to show that for a president with authoritarian tendencies, sharing power with violent, murderous factions may make for a less than ideal situation. And the coronavirus lockdown provided a perfect excuse 
to crack down on his longtime power rivals. After a relatively peaceful period during the lockdown, on the last weekend of April 2020, El Salvador suddenly experienced a spike in murders. A few dozen were killed every day for several consecutive days. In response, President Bukele said on Twitter, quote, The Maras are taking advantage of the fact that almost all of our public forces are occupied controlling the pandemic. He announced a state of emergency and then also on Twitter said, The use of lethal force is authorized for self defense or for the defense of life of Salvadorans. We urge the opposition to side with honest people and the institutions they control to stop protecting those who murder our people. The most striking photos that came out of this crackdown was of imprisoned gang members in a prison courtyard, stripped down to their underwear, crouched, and bunched up so tight they touched each other. Hundreds of men who were confined in overcrowded cells and forced to mingle with members of rival gangs, deprived of outside contact in an attempt to cut them off from the outside world and order killings. According to Bakeli's security minister, Osiris Luna, the gang members would also, quote, not receive sunlight. They will be in total confinement 24 hours a day in the seven maximum security prisons that are in this country. The move to essentially confine criminal members in overcrowded prisons exacerbates an already chronic problem in Salvadoran detention centers. El Salvador has the second highest prison population after the United States. Multiple people are confined into one dirty cell, with the overall prison system now over double the design capacity. In these dark, damp cells, diseases like tuberculosis was already a problem before COVID-19 came along. The United Nations and many other countries have released non-violent, elder, and lesser criminals to house arrest to ease the pressure in prisons, but that barely makes a dent for El Salvador especially when so many would fall in the violent category to begin with. The irony is that outside of the prison walls, the Maras have been said to be enforcing lockdown measures themselves, albeit in a way no less violent than the official police. After all, gang members live in the community they control, and they don't want to get sick. Gang members also tend to avoid hospitals for obvious reasons, so staying healthy is the best way to avoid that. The Maras employ both the carrot and stick to keep the coronavirus at bay. Reports have emerged that gangs have reduced or temporarily halted extortion agreements. Some have been involved in distributing aid. Quoting Gael Rivad Piche for the Washington Post, Gangs felt that flexible extortion arrangements would show good faith and help the relationship survive over the long term. Allowing similar arrangements now could ensure the gang's financial viability after the pandemic and enable them to build local legitimacy. Not to mention, an outbreak attracts attention from rival gangs and the military police. The gangs have an interest in keeping their community safe from COVID-19 as, for all intents and purposes, they are the government where the actual authorities fail to reach. Like many countries, El Salvador's medical system still struggled to keep up at several points during the pandemic. 
Endemic distrust of official systems, coupled with the fragmented authority between the federal government and rival gangs, means a lot of hidden tragedy from people who never managed to get treatment for COVID-19 or just refused to. It should be noted that Nayib Bukele was not innocent in all this either. In May 2020, the president admitted that he takes hydroxychloroquine. I do think that he said it to get on President Donald Trump's good graces, as he was saying this while receiving a donation of 250 ventilators from the United States. It would not be the first time he has sucked up to President Trump either by openly saying he agrees with the former president. At the same time, he also did not seem to say much else regarding alternate cures or anti-vaccine measures. As mentioned, Bukele is a little bit too much into lockdowns. His government even had prisoners mask up. And as we will talk about later, Bukele's government was relatively successful in getting vaccines into the country. The challenges for Salvadorians ultimately came from the relative lack of access to modern facilities, especially outside the capital, San Salvador, and the instability of the parts of the nation controlled by gangs. Medical services are provided in those areas by nonprofits, such as Doctors Without Borders, whose ambulances and staff are normally provided free access to otherwise gang controlled areas. But in February 2021, the humanitarian organization reported that one of their vehicles was waylaid and roughed up at a checkpoint on the outskirts of San Salvador. The incident caused Doctors Without Borders to suspend operations in the country for a while. Adding to all that, are many thousands of Salvadorans who tried and failed to flee the chaos and poverty and violence of their home country. Those deported are primarily from the United States, or had also spent many years living overseas. Many of the deported people were children, often having fled also at a young age. They are quarantined, which carries its own COVID risk, and are forced to return to a community that not only had its long-standing issues that they fled from, but also rampant coronavirus. Especially as the months wore on, and despite the extreme lockdown measures, El Salvador still experienced many devastating waves of COVID-19, just like the rest of the world. Their economy took a hit, their many informal workers were forced to return to work, and life went on. In the end, COVID-19 was just another thing many people living there had to live with and risk on a day-to-day basis. El Salvador has been more successful in vaccinating its people compared to its neighbors, even though it still lags behind some more advanced countries. Trackers say about two-thirds of the population have been inoculated, including some with a third and even a fourth dose. This is higher than some of its neighbors that have struggled to even get half of its total population vaccinated. The country, and Bukele himself, has become a staging ground for the Cold War of diplomacy between the Western and Eastern nations, having received vaccines from both China and the USA. The Western vaccines like Moderna and the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine have come in large part through the COVAX scheme, which helps less affluent countries obtain cheaper vaccines. 
and whose stock is dominated primarily by the U.S. At the same time, the United States has labeled Bukele as a corrupt politician, along with many other Central American leaders. In response to that and a tightening of borrowing restrictions from the United States, Bukele has sucked up to China, who provided $500 million in public investments, quote, without restriction. Also on the donation list, 1 million vaccine doses from Sinopharm in July 2020. Granted, this donation is still dwarfed by the other 8.5 million doses already obtained from COVAX and other sources at the time, but any number of vaccines helps the country with their efforts. The relative abundance of vaccines the country has allowed President Bekele to make some diplomatic gestures of his own. In May 2021, mayors from seven towns in neighboring Honduras pleaded on social media for vaccines for their people from someone, anyone. In response, Bukele sent several refrigerated trucks of AstraZeneca vaccines across the border. He said, When I saw your videos, what I saw was a little desperation. I said to the minister and the vaccine people in El Salvador, How can we help? El Salvador had only vaccinated a million of its 7 million people at the time, but that was a lot more compared to Honduras, who had barely started. El Salvador's donation increased the number of vaccines in Honduras by almost 60%. It highlighted the relative success Bukele and his government had in providing this one life-saving medicine to the people of his country in comparison to his peers. It also gave him some positive press at a time when he is increasingly using his popularity to further consolidate his power in the country. Bukele once called himself the world's coolest dictator on Twitter, partially with a twinge of millennial irony, but also to mock the international press and the opposition, criticizing his removal of opposition and independent members from the judiciary and other branches of government. This is because Bukele's destruction of democratic institutions in El Salvador is likely enabled by his extremely high approval rating amongst the people of El Salvador. In May 2021, his party, Nuevos Ideas, dominated the legislative election and gained a supermajority in parliament, demolishing the opposition on both sides of the traditional aisles of politics and giving Bukele carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. And boy did he. This post-election, untethered version of Bukele was the one that made Bitcoin legal tender but also removed political opponents and hostile judges from power. In September, this new Supreme Court ruled that the president was allowed to run for two consecutive terms, overturning a previous ruling where a person must wait 10 years between terms. This does not seem to have affected Bukele's popularity much, though, and it is not hard to see why. The man is a marketing genius, and the image he projects to the world easily hides the ugly truth of his presidency. After all, he seemed to do something about the rampant corruption plaguing the country, ignoring the accusations of corruptions he himself has faced. Crime has gone down under Bukele, uh, but put a pin on that. And he puts a modernist spin on the beleaguered country. Again, put a pin on that. Once a large majority got vaccinated, COVID just became another one of El Salvador's many problems. And for the small Central American country, the old, brutal way of life would come back in a big, deadly way.
The years following the crackdown in 2020 were relatively peaceful for El Salvador. Bukele often celebrated on Twitter when a day went by in the country without a murder. Although others have suggested this is due to his government obfuscating data on crime to make it less severe than reported. Still, crime seemed to be on the decline over the past two years. Until one day, it wasn't. There was a sudden spike in crime rates, with 62 murders happening in one weekend in March 2022. Bukele declared a state of emergency and ordered a harsh crackdown on gang members over the next several weeks. Tens of thousands of suspected members were arrested, many held for extended periods without charge. Innocent people have been held, with deaths in overcrowded detention centers increasing. Inside, the prisoners were made to parade, naked and huddled together, suffering reduced rations and harsher conditions than they were already facing. It felt like a repeat of the crackdown from two years ago, clearly a measure that Bukele and his government had no trouble repeating for the cameras as a show of force. Writing the script in May 2022 also brings an interesting wrinkle for El Salvador. Bukele actually did put a lot of the country's reserves into Bitcoin, and since last July, Cryptocurrencies have collapsed in value tremendously. The president has doubled down though, buying the dip, as they say when you purchase more cryptocurrency at a perceived low price, and hosting bankers from dozens of countries to discuss the viability of Bitcoin as a tool to bank the unbanked. Bukele even unveiled plans for a Bitcoin city, a centrally planned, hexagonally shaped city on the site of a volcano that was to be used to mine more Bitcoin. It remains to be seen whether Bukele will gain an eye patch or he if he has a fluffy cat. What seems to be the case is that COVID-19 is mostly just another thing for El Salvador now. They overcame it with the help of their Bitcoin-obsessed millennial dictator through some extremely brutal means. And unfortunately, normality for the country is just going back to rampant gang violence and institutional corruption, something Bukele has pledged to eliminate but is still clearly endemic in his administration. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. For correspondence and corrections, please message me on Twitter and PolyPandemicPod. I also have a Patreon now, which you can help support the show at PolyPandemicPod. No member rewards planned yet, but I will thank you at the end of the show if you do contribute. Regardless, I would like to hear from you, your story of dealing with this pandemic or any disease, and if you have any suggestions for the future topics you'd like to look into. I apologize once again for any mistakes, strications, and pronunciation errors I made in the preceding episode. And finally, get boosted, wash your hands, and always be critical of any information you consume, including this podcast. Thank you for listening.